The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a computer, hardware, and gaming podcast. I am your survivor host here, Tom, and I am, of course, joined, as will always be joined, even if he's coughing up a storm. Dan, I am faring it here in the, uh, what I was told was the next Italy in the Northeast. So that's interesting. Do you, do you mind just telling people what city you're close to? Uh, I mean, I'm close to Boston. Dan's in, so Dan, I, I think we got to stop pretending it's going to give away any anonymity if we say you're in the Boston area. But Dan, the researcher up in Boston, uh, how's it been going? Have you gone out in the past couple of days? I am actually kind of curious to compare the level of activity on the streets where you are compared to me. I don't really see any fewer people at work right now. I'm guessing next week. There's going to be a lot fewer people, though. Yeah, where I, in Peoria here, it's hard to say. There's still plenty of people driving around. I still see people walking dogs when it's sunny. Maybe less than normal to a certain extent. Hey, Tom here just jumping in. I do want to point out that this was recorded literally hours before Illinois and most major states started shutting down just about everything. To be clear, what you're about to hear is a day before everything finally grinded to a halt. Yeah, all restaurants and bars are closed in Illinois. So I don't know. I'm leaving this in though because it's interesting. Starting to snow pretty hard today. Just got done walking the doggo out in the woods. So I don't know. Um, it's I can't. I don't see that much of a decrease. All the restaurants are still open next to me. I mean, yeah, I don't see really any retailers being closed at all. Um, Just, I mean, I work in a campus where it's (laughs) near a hospital and I, I have to be like just being here. You have to have some proximity to patients. So it's probably for the best that we avoid, uh, (laughs) we avoid, uh, exposing the entire workforce to it i guess let us move on so i do have to bring this up too since we're on the subject of this podcast listen to episode 39 guys i had more people i think than i've ever had reach out and say that was their favorite episode and it was an interview with someone who was a witness to antitrust cases against intel and basically walked me through how they the, their operation of stealing ip it, it was pretty incredible. Um, so if you haven't listened to that yet, let me plug it. And it's funny too. I've noticed in my podcast and almost also, by the way, in the comments of any podcast I've ever listened to, there's always a few oblivious people that go, don't talk over each other. And it's funny. <laughs> someone said, Tom, stop talking over him. And the guest, Mike Brizoni, actually responded to him himself and said he wasn't talking over me. 
So I, yeah. I do have to plug his name. Great name, Mike Brizzoni. Brizzoni. Yeah, I know. So I just want to point that out. Anytime people have brought that up, I've responded, dude, Cortex literally said he enjoyed the entire thing. It's always, and half the time, it's just in all caps. Don't talk over your guests or you'll never get another one. And it's like, it, I can assure you I'm going to get more people. Uh, I'm not going to announce who the next guest is because it's pretty big. But uh, it, it went, so let's say last episode went so well. They were, he, him and his friends were so impressed with the editing that I've been connected to more people. Let us move on. So Sad Hunk writes him, and he says, read Dan's plan to become a big boy PhD man. As someone with a somewhat similar background, I'm a biochemist, it's something I wish him the best of luck in. I met a lot of professors that are absolutely inspirational in how passionate they are about what they do, but seeing how much of their lives they dedicate towards that career can honestly be intimidating, crossing my fingers that he gets the placement he wants. There were other people that reached out and wished you well too, Dan. This is the one I picked. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. And yeah, I mean, I'll say uh, the professors I've worked with so far uh, in my early career have been very good. Uh, I know some people have had different results and that I know that discourages some people, but I think I've been pretty lucky with the, well, three people I've mainly worked with since I've started pursuing this career. Yeah. Well, let us move on. Really start getting into the nitty gritty. Another reader correction here. Crass writes in, just like you can if you support us on Patreon. And he says, in the latest Broken Silicon, you mentioned movie screens were 4K or 8K, which I did say that because I assumed they were, and they usually look better than at least what I'm used to seeing at home. And he goes, actually, movie screens are unfortunately mostly still 1080p. Uh, the actual resolution oftentimes is 2048 by 1080, which is, of course, uh, stretched. Uh, well, I guess it's not. It's not. Well, that's barely stretched. Yeah, my, my mistake. He goes, the bit rate is high, though. 250 Mbit, a single movie takes 300 gigabytes and is mostly distributed from studios on portable hard drives, now increasingly over the internet, though. This high bit rate, low compression makes up a lot for the lack of resolution. 4K on YouTube Netflix is like 25 Mbit. Meanwhile, well, it isn't really, by the way. Netflix will use more than that if they can. Um, that's just what they recommend. For 4K, for them to be able to send any version of 4K streaming, but yeah, but, um, all, all streaming is compressed though, pretty much. I mean, it just has. Oh to yeah, be. it's incredibly <laughs> compressed. It, it's it's definitely getting better, and I would say some streaming services look substantially better than others. Like I legitimately think Amazon might actually look the best, um, and Netflix often looks good, but it is very, very dependent on the show. Obviously, it depends what they were shot with. But I have noticed even some 4K shows look much worse on Netflix than others. And some of them look really good. Um, but And then, of course, you have Hulu, which looks pretty okay, but isn't above 1080p. And then you also have HBO Go that looks like a hunk of shit. Well, <laughs> HBO Go is weird. Like, if you're if you're at high traffic times, yeah, like... Get if you were watching like the Game of Thrones as they premiered on on there, it it, it was honestly worth just waiting for the next day to watch it because they're com once the, that website is high traffic, everything just completely goes to shit. Like if you watched that episode where everything was dark, like that's the joke about it. If you watched it a day later, it looked fine. It was all just compression. 
It, yeah. I, so hopefully Game of Thrones will come to Netflix at some point so then I can just stream it with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know what, what it is with their compression algorithms, but God, sometimes it looks terrible. Like, would you like contrast or would you just like everything to be gray? Because I think... Uh, and it's like just blocky grayness. It's like, it honestly looks like one time I overclocked my 144 hertz monitor, like to just to the level where it would still refresh that fast, but it was clearly getting artifacts and the sky was like all blocky in <laughs> Battlefield 4. This is when I was still using, I think, a 390X. And yeah, uh, it looked like that, except that's how it always looks on the sky in HBO Go. <laughs> but uh, I guess... Yeah, he goes on. About 60% of U.S. screens are still 2K worse in developing countries, and distributing of 4K files hasn't quite caught up, even where screens are 4K because the file size is a terabyte, which I did hear that the uncompressed uh, file size, it would be about a terabyte. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're kind of getting there. I, I guess I didn't actually know that. I just assumed that they were using 4K, but um, guess not. Guess not, Dan. Thank you for the correction, Crass. But yeah, um, so I guess let us move on. So Lebo Kinkilo writes him and he says, Hey, Tom, I need a GPU with six ports, but my current one only has four. Will Big Navi have only four ports or will it be up to AIBs to make versions with five or six ports? Well, first of all, it is up to AIBs. I don't know if you remember the 7970, damn. Since it had so much video RAM, there were some weird versions that just had like six. Oh, no, I think it was like the 6990 had like six mini display ports or something on it, and that's it. Because they just assumed if you buy a 6990, you can afford dongles. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure, I guess. Uh, it seems like most graphics cards, they decide on like four ports, at least right now. Like Since, since the RX 480, AMD's just said, screw it, we're going three display ports, one HDMI, and that's just the standard. Yeah. And NVIDIA's been cramming a bazillion ports on the back for whatever reason, <laughs> um, including a DVI, I believe, with Maxwell or Pascal. I don't remember which one it was, where they still had a DVI and then two display ports and two HDMIs. And it was just like this jumbled mess in the back. But it's like, eh, you know, I don't necessarily hate that. But the point I need to bring, out, bring up, Lebo King, is a display port can support, I think, up to four displays per port. That's why AMD goes with three display ports on the back of their card, because you can do splicers and at least get six out of three display ports. As mm -hmm. long as it's not six 4K displays. Now, if you need if you need six 4K displays, I don't know if it can support <laughs> that. I actually think it might uh, be able to now with the latest display port, honestly. Well, yeah, but, what's the latest specs for display port? I can't remember. It's what is it? It's like up to. I mean, eight. it does 4K 120, right? So you should be able to do 4K 60 times two with each of those display ports. So, yeah. I mean, that's what I would say, Lebo King. Just get a dongle that splits it into two displays. I've never actually done that with any of my cards because I've never needed more than like five displays. And they've often had, like back in the 7970 days, didn't they have? They had two mini display ports, an HDMI, and a DVI, I think. Ah, uh, something yeah. like that. But we appreciate the question. I hope we answered it well. Fatboy Diesel also writes in and he says, assuming the biggest Navi GPU has 16 gigabytes of HBM2E or more, would you bet 100 Bitcoin? No. Bitcoins? He puts Bitcoins. <laughs> He's not sure if it's plural. Actually, you're right. You're right, Fatboy Diesel. You would say 100 Bitcoin. You would not say Bitcoins. There's no point in plural because there's no actual coins. 
Um, assuming the biggest Navi GPU is 16 gigabytes of HBM2E, would you bet 100 Bitcoin? First of all, I would not bet 100 Bitcoin on anything. Uh, that such a GPU would double as a prosumer card that Vega could never be. Kind of like a bargain consumer version of a Radeon Pro. So I'm never betting any of my Bitcoin. You're not taking it out of my cold, dead virtual hands. But... And I would never bet that amount of money on pretty much anything, but I would bet I mean, that on your name being Tom. Yeah, I would. Okay, so sure. I would bet 100 Bitcoin on Dan being Dan. Um, but if it, he's saying if it does have 16 gigabytes of HBM2E, oh, yeah, I'm sure there will be a prosumer version for, yeah. But I want to point that out that Big Navi is rumored to have HBM2E, the biggest of the Big Navis. And if it does, I really think what they'll have is I think the rumors, I've actually received information a year ago that it was going to have 24 or 32 gigabytes of HBM2E. And if it does, I think there will just be a top version that's the professional card. And I think there will be like a Titan-like competitor that's slightly cut down for 1500 And then I think they will have one salvaged version. Maybe this is the one where they put GDR6 on it instead. That they give to you for like 700 bucks. Like that's kind of what I'm expecting because this does sound like a really big expensive card. And again, the the market dictates the prices. And right now the market has said, we would like to pay more money. We would like to pay $1,200 for a high-end card, not 600. Yeah, I mean, once you're at that like level of performance, I'm sure there some people would just buy it as like a prosumer card regardless. So, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to market it as one or make a better, uh, uh, like, yeah, like Frontier version skew that has more, twice as much RAM or something. Like, I've long thought that they probably should have charged 1000 for the Radeon 7. I mean, it really was a professional card. It uses professional drivers, and you can use the professional drivers with it. And yeah, it launched for, what, 750 right? Or 700 700 Yeah, it, yeah like $100 cheaper than the 2080. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it has 16 gigabytes of HBM2. Yeah, I don't know either, but... <laughs> but, uh, but I guess, you know, AMD felt the need to compete to have a high-end offering, even if it was just for six months and until Navi came out. And, I, you know, that's what they did. But I, I will say this, you know, I think AMD can afford to charge less for a lot of the cut-down bigger Navis. Like, I really think if there's... If, if the stack up, which again, I think it's just going to be a full new product launch of RDNA 2 from top to bottom at this point, since it's coming out at the end of the year. Like, in other words, I think it'll be 6,000 series and all of them will be RDNA 2. Um, I really think that they might have like a 6,800 XT for 500. And then like above that, they'll have the 6,900 for like 750 and a 6,900 XT for like, you know, that's their 2080, 3080 Ti competitor. And if NVIDIA gets aggressive enough, AMD will too, because they can certainly afford to sell these cards for a lot less, as we'll <laughs> talk about right Later and right now. So the first story, let us get into the news. We have been dilly-dallying for a while here. <laughs> um, the first story is about this big rumor that came out. And it didn't, it wasn't just like WCCF. It was several people on Twitter that are reputable leakers that have, have a very good track record that basically said NVIDIA's decided for the majority of their Ampere gaming lineup to use Samsung's latest version of their 10 nanometer node, which will be marketed as 8 nanometer. Now, at first, that kind of sounds like bullshit, but I did a whole video on it, which I believe you watched, Dan, that goes over how it's actually only like 10 to 20% less dense. Like, 
calling it eight nanometer if TSMC calls their seven nanometer. Isn't that unfair? And it will have, you know, it doesn't have the same clock speed uh, abilities. It's not as much of a power reduction and it's not quite as dense. But if they really go with another, you know, 750 millimeter squared, 800 millimeter squared card, like it sounds like they're going to, I think that can make up for the rest of the deficit and compete. Although the conclusion I came to about this rumor, you know, that NVIDIA would use eight nanometer instead of seven so they could, again, basically secure a stable supply chain with a reliable node for big, for good yields on large cards. If they actually do this, though, AMD will be able to crush them if they put the top cards on seven nanometer EUV. That was the conclusion I came to because seven nanometer EUV is like a half node smaller. So if they go to eight, they're basically a half node behind AMD. But if AMD went to, yeah, seven EUV, it'd be like, it would be like NVIDIA launching a new series on 12 nanometer and AMD is still using seven with something twice as big. Like there's no way they, they just, they could not compete with it then. But I don't know, Dan, what do you think about all of this? I think we've long thought that at least for the time, the, AMD is going to probably take the performance crown, at least for a little bit. I mean, I, I really don't know what the, completely what this implies uh, about the possible, the possible like power limit that the top-line cards will have, or if maybe some of their top-line cards will still be on 7 nanometer, which I think they said something about that in the article. Well, yeah, that's something I forgot to mention just now, too, is their top cards will still probably be seven nanometer. Um, it's just, I think, and, I, and and for those that are like, oh, well, NVIDIA is doing this because they're greedy or because they don't need to compete. No, it's because they have to. AMD has more negotiating room with TSMC because they're making all of the consoles and the consoles are filling up the fabs at TSMC. And there's, and they've already booked all of that capacity. So NVIDIA knows that AMD legitimately could have a market advantage <laughs> if they launched first and then just tried to crowd NVIDIA out of the fab. Which, yeah, that was another thing I was thinking about is maybe there is just limitations on uh, TSMC fabs right now. I, I <laughs> Oh, there's an incredible demand with the consoles coming out. And then especially with what's going on with the spread of something I can't say. <laughs> um, you know, with that going on and causing delays, I mean, that had to be an extra thing for NVIDIA to go, you know what, we'll just be a half node, but we'll just be a node behind again. We've done it before. And our top consumer, though I still think there will be a mega seven nanometer Titan. And if they need to, they will release a cut down version for like 1500 bucks. <laughs> cut down uh but yeah i mean oh yeah that's just where we're at damn people want to buy 11 gigabyte cards for 1300 dollars that cost nvidia 300 bucks to make well uh this eight nanometer node this is also the first this is also launched this year too correct or no yeah this is new okay this is just coming out now so this is samsung's latest best node i know they say they have seven nanometer euv but i will believe it when i see it yeah i mean i guess i i don't know it like is it a more reliable process than whatever, like seven nanometer EUV? Oh, for sure, it will be. I okay. know. I you know I, I don't have the yield numbers to, uh, yeah, on yeah, hand. Yeah. This is their third ten nanometer generation that they've been making for years. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. <laughs> In fact, you would almost go. It's weird. Nvidia didn't go to ten nanometer sooner. To be honest. Well, and the thing NVIDIA I'm sure is thinking about is in AMD is going to launch the consoles this year and everyone's saying they're going to get delayed. I'm like, I think they're going to come out this year. It's just going to be constrained. 
Um, and they are going to launch their cards this year. They do have, you know, they're already making seven nanometer if they need to. And again, this is something I point out in that video. It's there's seven nanometer, there's six nanometer, there's seven nanometer, there's N7P, which isn't the same as plus, by the way. And there's seven nanometer plus, which is EUV. So AMD, and all of these are like design compatible with each other. So AMD, if one of them isn't working, if one of them's booked, can move some of their designs between them fairly easily. And they have way more negotiating room. If NVIDIA doesn't have a full new series out at the same time, RDNA 2 launches. It would be a disaster. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, I'll move on. Yeah. Nils writes in, with AMD and Intel talking about moving to massively integrated systems with shared CPU and GPU memory in the server space, what do you see in NVIDIA's future? They already seem to be fairly reliant on the gaming market, but with AMD starting to come back in the high end for that Halo product mindshare, I'm not convinced NVIDIA would be able to come back if they started slipping without the constant income AMD kept in consoles. I mean, the, the answer is NVIDIA is going to do the same thing. I don't know. NVIDIA with RISC-V and um, ARM options, I don't see why NVIDIA can't do similar things. I know there's people poo-pooing, you know, Risk V, Risk Five, and all of that, but I'm not. So <laughs> that's how. <laughs> now, is it a d definite hindrance to some of their markets? I mean, yeah, it is. And the only thing NVIDIA can do is try to continue to make, I mean, which is obvious, right? Look at the, this 8,000, it's rumored to be 826 millimeter squared, seven nanometer big ampere. It's like, Guys, that's NVIDIA's solution. They have the money, they have the R&D, they have the war chest. They're just going to try to buy their way through it with super cards. All I can say is NVIDIA's exposed, but there are ways they can do the same thing as AMD can long-term. In the short-term, though, I, I don't... Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, AMD is making... exposed. <laughs> AMD is making a ton of money right now, and I suspect that they'll be... They're definitely going to be the market leader in CPUs. And with GPUs, I would expect they will be this year unless something happens with RDNA 2.0. Um, yeah, I don't know. Long-term, NVIDIA will probably figure out something, though. They still have a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Headshot5606 writes in, and he says, when do y'all think AMD will truly take the workstation prosumer crown back? in graphics well when was the last I mean, time they had it you know i don't know fermi was pretty good i i, I am honestly not an expert in the history of the prosumer yeah, cards, I, I wasn't sure if you were or not but i can honestly say is that they had some really really good fire pros with the 290x iterations i think they had eight gigabyte and maybe even 16 gigabyte versions of the 290x that actually did win some contracts um, so, and that is when they had a performance crown as well. So when do I think they can take it back? I mean, uh, now get RDNA 2 out AMD. <laughs> well, yeah. And what they had their new, uh, works, their new compute thing that they just launched, which what CDNA, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's one of the underreported things by tech tubers is it's like they're evolving GCN into its own next gen architecture. That's a huge threat to NVIDIA. And they have the money to bankroll two divergent architectures now, kind of like NVIDIA had Titan, Volta, and Pascal at the same time. And if they re and it sounds like this is going to be a much more prolonged, pronounced 
divergence of two architectures that build over each other separately. And I mean, I I think they can take it this year if they just get RDNA 2 out. And I think cDNA is a huge threat to NVIDIA. Yeah, I mean, they've been stuck on basically using the same architectures now for a while. And if they can bankroll and support two architectures for those two different fields, that's that's a big deal. And like, once again, back to the uh, theme that NVIDIA is exposed right now. Yeah, they are. So AMD is going to do its best to capitalize. I didn't mean to to sound, I don't know. I think I was just like really mad five minutes ago for no reason. That happens all the time, doesn't it, Dan? <laughs> yes. Th- be honest, Dan. Do I just sometimes out of nowhere get pissed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, and I don't, I'm not mad. I just want to be clear to everyone listening. I'm not mad at Nils or anyone here. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. <laughs> okay. But like, you know, again, answering Nils, answering headshot here, it's like long term, I think NVIDIA can do a lot of similar things to what AMD is doing now. Now, the question you might ask is will they be able to build CPUs as well as AMD or Intel? I, I have my doubts. But then again, they've done some pretty incredible things. And NVIDIA has some really smart, really well-paid people. So I don't I don't know. Um, but short-term, they are very exposed, but they also sound like they have some mega cards coming up. But and, and there's been a lot of rumors. I have no real contacts in NVIDIA. Nothing like what I have at Intel, let's put it that way. But there are these little rumblings you'll get here and there of people who work with people at NVIDIA, and they're like, they're scared about RDNA too. Arc, and Arcturus. Like an 128 compute unit card coming from AMD. Yeah. Like, that's scary for them. Okay, and Essen writes in, and he, she, they writes, I bet you 20 bucks that neither Zen 3 nor Zen 4 for consumers will offer four-way hyper-threading. So first of all, uh, I need to preface this. I guess, you know, I check reader mail, like, I don't know, uh, a few days before we're going to start recording, and that's when I throw it in next to the stories I put together and the notes I wanted to talk about. That I, you know, that I've compiled over the two weeks for these episodes. And um, it was before AMD's financial analyst day. This person sends me, Hey, do you want to do the bet now? And I'm like, What bet? <laughs> I haven't checked the reader mail yet. And he goes, I think AMD may announce more information about Zen 3. So you want to do the hyper threading bet now? And I'm like, Why would I think that it has four way SMT? Have I not done several conversations in the past six months where I said, I know it won't? Then I mean Zen 4. And I said, I'm not betting that either. I wouldn't have ever bet it. And that's something, that's why we added the wagers to get rid of these misconceptions. I did a video, one of my, my first, I would say, really big one, Whispers of Zen 3. And well, I know for a fact, despite what some people think, that they had it on their roadmaps, and this has been a, confirmed by Adored and other people as well, it was removed but even when I knew for a fact they were planning to use it at some point, I don't think I'd bet $20 that anything I see on something coming out in two years is going to be in that product, right? I don't think I would bet that Big Navi will have HBM2E, even though I think we all know it will. And that's I, way more definite than hyperthreading ever was. I mean, yeah, like once we're talking about Zen 4, so Zen 4 is 2021 or one or two. Yeah. Depending yeah. on when it actually rolls out. See, that's not, I know I say it's 2021, but I wouldn't bet. It could slip. So, like, that's already a long ways out. Um, the Zen, I mean, not the, the SMT uh, 4 thing that we 
talked that we've talked about a lot. That was the thing that we knew that they were potentially working on and they had it in their roadmaps, but it's been clear that for one reason or another, that that's not what they're going to continue pursuing, at least for right now. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't bet Zen four for Zen four will have it. My guess would be that it's not going to have it. If I had to Zen four, the other, you know, yeah. I guess I've been thinking about this too. And, you know, I know Cortex said, and he doubted it would ever come out. And then he said, well, maybe it will actually, because he, I think he finally got the roadmaps that showed they were working on it. What, what I would say is what we know is they were initially testing it in some version of the Zen three architecture and they decided to not roll it out. So that's somewhere in a lab. It wouldn't surprise me if there was some professional or specific iteration of Zen 3 that did have it, guys. Um, now, you say, uh, would you bet me $20 it's not coming to consumers? Why on earth do I think they would bring it to consumers if they're not bringing it to most people? <laughs> you know, that's not a bet I'm making. But do not rule out it's showing up in some product for a specific customer is what I will say. Yeah, okay. I mean... I mean, they have it. They wouldn't have designed it unless they plan to use it eventually, guys. (laughs) And I mean, it's not like that's a thing that doesn't... uh, IBM has that uh, multi-threading, right? Yeah, eight-way. So we know it's feasible. Like, we already know that that's not unheard of. It's just a matter of, is it worth it for consumers to have this at all? Mm -hmm. But that brings us to story number two, Zen 4. So confirmed DDR5, PCIe 5.0. It's interesting, they call it post seven nanometer. So I think there's a chance it would use six nanometer instead of five, depending on what AMD thinks is best for the supply chain and uh, performance. But, you know, it's 2021. And although, honestly, guys, I think I'll, I'll say this. I've received some information that obviously if this is coming to this computer, they have a contract. But Well, let me read it, actually. So the story I actually linked to is the El Capitan supercomputer that AMD's one is Zen 4 contract with, you know, two exaflops of compute horsepower. So let me quote here from WCCF Tech. The El Capitan supercomputer will be built by HPE's Cray Supercomputing Division, which would utilize the next generation accelerators from AMD to bring this exaflop monster to life by 2023. Yeah, so Zen 4 doesn't technically need to be out till like 2022 or something. <laughs> well, I don't know how the manufacturing of these goes, so... They might, uh, it might take years to build this. Like this is a two, they're targeting what two exaflops of compute, which I didn't even realize we were uh, at that scale with super computers at this point. But (laughs) yeah, I guess we know it's probably coming within the next. Well, it has to come out within 18 months, 18 to 24 months, I guess. Yeah. Something like that. Which um, I, I am putting together a video. The script I have so far is just called AMD Update. <laughs> but I think I'm going <laughs> to combine it with some other information I got from my last guest um, about AMD. When can AMD get into a price war and what is their product stat coming? Uh, but I'll say this right now. There is a good chance, guys, Zen 3 is mostly delayed a bit. And I would assume Zen 4 would be mostly delayed as well. Now, they're going to blame the uh, current uh, communicable thing going around right now on that. But if I was AMD, I would be happy to delay things to keep selling Zen a little longer, to be honest. Zen 2. I mean, <laughs> Zen and Zen 1. <laughs> and Yeah, and yeah. And Zen Plus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Zen Plus. But yeah, I mean, 
I don't, <laughs> they can keep making money off of these relatively old pieces of technology. Why wouldn't they milk it a little longer if they're able to? Especially again, like NVIDIA going to eight nanometer. Why wouldn't they do it if there's any chance it could be like there could be a disruption in trying to launch it early or an NVIDIA's case on a newer node with more capacity problems? Why take the risk when it's not necessary to compete? So, yeah, yeah. but let us move on. Guitar Guy 515 says, multi-part question. Is 3D stacking coming with Zen 4 or Zen 5? How is it expected to be implemented? Will L3 cache be placed atop the cores? Possibly. Will something akin to our actual HBM is above the IO die? So I don't know the best way to organize it, but do I think 3D stacking is coming with Zen 3? I think 2.5D might be. And I wouldn't be, again, surprised if certain Zen 3 products for the first time did 3D stacking, kind of like Sunny Cove cores for the first time are being used in... Um, uh, what is it? Uh, not uh, not Fovros. It's Fovros Tech. Well, everyone knows what the hell it is. Um, that five core tiny chip the size of like a dime. Um, like the Intel's still not three D stacking most of their stuff. So I think Zen three might be the first one where they experiment with it a bit. And I think Zen four will do it more. But I don't. I wouldn't ever. I don't know that. And there's going to be anything until Zen 5 where most things are. And there's still going to be plenty of products that aren't 3D stacked. Right? It doesn't, you don't always need the 3D stack. There's going to be a lot of kinks they need to work out with heat concentration and just the cost of these interposers and attaching things together with the fabric. So I wouldn't say, is 3D stacking coming with Zen 4? It could come with some product in Zen 3, but I don't think it's going to be like the standard in every product for a while. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know, I guess like, yeah, like you said with heat, because the major problem with 3D stacking, I assume, is they can't uniformly uh, pull off heat. Ba- well, based on you can layer it, though, in, ter- in me- there's methods of layering it where the ones that produce the most heat are at the top. There's also other okay. solutions I've seen where they kind of effectively 3D print copper heat pipes through the layers. So, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about that. But before, that stuff's expensive. But. And I know it sound, looks great on paper, and it is great. It's fantastic on paper. It looks super cool in a, <laughs> in a PowerPoint. But make it, and then we'll start talking. Make it, and don't charge me uh, three times more money for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Blokes writes in, and he says, God damn it, Tom. It's not an $80, $1,600. It's basically a $2,600. You know what, Blokes? Calm the fuck down. <laughs> You want to fight? Yeah, blokes. Uh, uh, I'm going to challenge you to push-ups with Biden. I like when uh, kids that's sit. That's going to be. I like when kids <laughs> sitting on my lap. <laughs> Anyways, blokes. Yeah, I know, but they call it the 1600 AF, and they do that so that they don't have to meet any specific boosting requirements, and they can just sell the worst of the worst. Frankly, probably 2700 X yields as the 1600. Um, and just stop using 14 nanometer because it's just, there's no point. 12 nanometers, just the standard now, global foundries. So number three, speaking of Zen Plus, AMD is reportedly making a Ryzen 3 1200 that uses 12 nanometer instead of 14 nanometer. So again, this is, I see this as, this is just how they're going to continue to roll out these products as they upgrade them to 12 nanometer Zen Plus iterations and keep selling them for a while. 
uh, below a hundred bucks. I mean, that's a quad core APU. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to disable like a lot of these parts all the way down to that. They might as well take their worst, worst, worst Zen plus laptop yields, just remove hyper threading and call it a 1200. You mean? Did, I'm looking at the report. Did they say how much this would cost to buy? Yeah, it's $97 right now for one. So I don't know. I mean, it almost makes me wonder why this isn't just going to become $60 for this APU. Yeah, uh, that sounds a bit pricey for what this is, in my opinion, because, well, I also got a deal, but I got that 2700X for $130. Yeah. <laughs> Seems significantly better than this, but. Well, on the 1600s, like 80 bucks. So, but it doesn't come with a graphics card built in. So I guess that's their argument is in terms of, and this graphics card is significantly better than the one they have in their $50 APU. So I guess that's their argument is you're getting like a $70 GPU and a $50 CPU or $60 CPU for 90 bucks. But yeah, I mean, I, I just brought this up because I thought it was interesting to point out that they're probably going to start transforming a bunch of their Gen 1 products into 12 nanometer. Anything else to add, well, Dan? Yeah. Uh, no, I think we pretty much talked about that a couple of weeks ago where it's, where it's like, oh yeah, this is just going to be their strategy is they're just not going to and old old lines and that their lower end might just be they keep selling their old shit for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, number four, Renoir is launching this month. I really don't have much to add, but we've been talking about Renoir a lot lately. And I just thought it was worth pointing out that assuming the world doesn't end, this should be a lot of Renoir options by April. And I gotta say, I'm gonna be watching them. I'm not, I have no need, you know, my Whiskey Lake i7 and uh, MX250 is basically this level of performance. Well, level of GPU performance uh, as like a 4600U or something, 4500U. I'm excited to see what they have to offer. I don't, I don't have too much to add other than that. I mean, we've talked about Renoir a lot. We've talked a lot about what we think Renoir will be. Like, it seems like, the top line Renoirs will probably be at least match or maybe beat the MX350, especially like with the, what is it? The Apple Van Gogh or whatever, or Picasso yeah. thing. No, Picasso's <laughs> previous gen, Dan. You just, yeah, you I, just fucked up again. Knew, this is I like saying this. I knew, I knew I did it as Picasso was coming out of my mouth, but you know, Picasso comes out of my mouth a lot. <laughs> you know what, Dan? We've said this before. Uh, this isn't a family that cuts and runs. So you committed, you stuck to your guns when you started saying the wrong generation. Yeah, when I fuck up, I finish fucking up because why wouldn't I? I'm an American, goddammit. So <laughs> the one thing I will say is they're still not launching the 4900 right away. Although I saw some people say 4900 was a misquote by a company. And I'm like, well, cool. There's <laughs> six companies talking about it. It's real. <laughs> um, and I, 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 I speculated about all the options for what Renoir is. By the way, guys, the guy who sent me the original Cezanne info sent me more info for the first time in a month. And my update to that Cezanne stuff was from other sources. And I couldn't, it was a little vague, but he says, yeah, that Cezanne thing I talked about, that's for laptops, by the way. And um, Tom from the future jumping in again, it's now public that the 4900 series from Renoir is indeed just the full eight CUs. 
sustaining higher graphics clocks. You know, it does get you to about a PS4's level of performance like suspected, despite not having any more than eight CUs. But I wanted to interject here and add that as well. Me and Dan basically came to the conclusion that we think that it's just eight CUs anyways, that there's no hidden compute units. But now I know for sure. So again, this is an annoying episode of big updates right when we finished recording, but there it is. So, I mean, it might, that would lead me to think that it would make more sense that this is just the top yield eight uh, CU that they're calling the 4900H and they're clocking them like 20% faster or something, or at least hopefully 20% faster. Yeah. And I saw a new leak come out about Renoir that had the 4800U. Uh, I think it was matching the 25 watt version of the MX250, which seemed a little weak to me compared to other leaks. But everything we're basically seeing is the 7CU through 8CU models will at least match or beat the 2500 MX250 and the MX330. And that the 25-watt MX350 that takes up substantially more room and uses 25 watts in addition to the CPU in the system, (laughs) basically doubling the amount of energy your laptop uses, that solution is likely to lose to a best-binned 8CU one. And that places the top Renoir just short of like an RX... Well, yeah, just short of probably an RX 460, which means it should be just about where the PS4 base is which is insane in a 15-watt 8-core APU, in my opinion. Yeah, so you're not going to be gaming on ultra, but low-medium, probably. Yeah, and I mean, if you... I would say this is going to very comfortably game 900p, 60 frames, medium or something, depending on the AAA game. And if you have a laptop, all you need is this APU, and I'm telling you, a 150-millimeter squared... 7 nanometers actually pretty mature now, guys. It's like... I think it's like to 95% yields. It, it's mature. You throwing that into a laptop, they, I think at first there will be a price premium. They're going to want to put this in around $1,000 laptops because it is the best performance. But come back to school season, I think Renoir laptops um, could easily, even the ones with the highest end APU could be in like 13-inch laptops like the one I have and cost like 700 bucks with good components. Carbon Cry writes in and he says, would you bet $50 that the Zen 2 desktop APU will not be Renoir, but a different die? Maybe. That brings us to story number five. Renoir desktop (laughs) is coming, apparently, according to a leak. Uh, Yeah, according to this leak, it looked like there was something similar to the 4700U in performance, but and uh, a Renoir leak came out on a desktop board, I believe. And it got 4,700U performance, but it was using 2133 megahertz RAM. So that's not really surprising that it could underperform a bit. Um, and it was on a B550 board, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is really interesting to think of Renoir coming to desktop. That's something I've been wondering about. Like, well, wait a second, though. Is this just going to be placed next to the IO die that they already have? Is it going to have its own custom little IO die they put next to it? I kind of think that might be. Or does it need one? I don't know. I don't, what do you think, Dan? Hmm. What is this uh, B550 uh, board CPU that they were looking at? Like, what what was it running? Is this like a whatever the 4800 uh, die 
just transported to uh, desktops because that seems like it could be that. Yeah. And I, I wonder what they'll do, like, because it wouldn't, I, I imagine what they might, because the, like I've said, the yields on seven nanometer are incredibly good right now. So it wouldn't surprise me if instead of like disabling cores, they just had like an eight core, eight thread version that they sell for cheap. And I, and, and that's something I was thinking about is it's like <clears throat> long term, right? They're, they're moving more things to Zen Plus and selling them as they're offering against i3s and Pentiums. But long term, you know, once they start transitioning to like seven N7P, seven nanometer EUV, N6, N5, like I wouldn't be surprised if they just started rolling out these Renoir APUs and stopped making 2700Xs or as many of them. Well, because um, these mean, are yeah, cheaper to make, would, it's a monolithic die. That wouldn't shock me like 20. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think they could sell this for? Like, I mean, I mean, look, guys, the die size is smaller than what they sold Picasso for. Like, and they sold that for like 150 for the four core eight thread with, you know, Vega 11 graphics. This is Renoir graphics are a bit better and it has eight cores. So, but you know, die size like 40% smaller. I, I know it's a more expensive process, but I see no reason why they couldn't sell a Renoir APU on desktop, a fully enabled one, you know, like a 100 watt version. That's the equivalent of like a 460 and a 2700X or yeah, or maybe even beats the 2700X a bit. For one fifty, I don't know why not. <laughs> I mean, well, why not? Aside from they might want to sell it for more because they could easily, <laughs> yeah, say that this is worth more than one hundred fifty and try to do two hundred or something. Well, yeah, but, and, and and I mean that would be a better option, I think, than the thirty six hundred. That's already going for um, one fifty, so it's it's a, an awkward yeah. thing to be in. Where I think, yeah, what they would probably, I think, what they would end up doing is. I guess if they really did put the full version on desktop, which is again something I want to point out that I wonder if they won't even put the full version on desktop because they have no reason to create a product that competes with the, you know, 3700X and 3600X. Like, why would they want to cannibalize that market? But I guess they could make it like in between the 3600X and 3700X with everything enabled. And then they could like disable hyper threading in a couple of the, in like one of the compute units. And sell it for like 120 eight threads instead of 12 below the 3600. That's why I kind of didn't mm-hmm. think they were going to bring this to desktop, but this suggests they might. Yeah. So I want to point yeah, that out too is I find it a weird idea that this comes to desktop because I don't know who it's for. Let's move on. Number six, B550 PCIe 4.0 boards are coming. I don't know how much of this I have to add. I, I talked about some of this actually in my TRX 40 motherboard video from last year where I'd received information that through a different layering process, they had found a way cheaper way to implement PCIe 4.0, but they're just working it out and that they'll definitely want to perfect that before they launch B550. One of the reasons X570 was so expensive was one, they wanted money. But number two, (laughs) it did use more energy. It did require active cooling on almost every board, I think, if not every board. And so they wanted to get this working well in TRX 40 and then for B450. Uh, and if they couldn't for that for B550. So yeah, I mean, look, I even though it has PCIe 4.0, I think it has support for one less M SATA and like half the SATA drives, but it's still like six SATA drives total, I think it has support for. Uh, yeah, six SATA drives. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it, it definitely has fewer features than X570, but 
I, I mean, it's I think it's good enough for most people. Yeah, you, this is good enough. You can get a PCIe 4.0 MSATA SSD, and then it has PCIe 4.0 for your graphics card. So you're done. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. And I think they can easily sell this for, uh, you know, like eighty bucks. So this is what I would just start recommending to most people. Most people, I know some people complain. And I do think, you know, X570 could have had more I.O. I would have appreciated it because I actually have loaded up this desktop for creators, <laughs> you know, creative uses. But I, it is still enough. I'm still not using half the I.O. in it. I just worry in three years, could I maybe get to the limit and have, you know, it's it's not that big <laughs> of a deal. But for most people, don't need more than six SSDs and one M SATA. And this is what I'm going to recommend probably with like a, 37 or if it gets below 300 bucks, I'm going to just start recommending the 3800X to everyone, actually. So there, there's no need for an X570 board anymore once this comes out for most people. This is a be- probably the best option for most people building a PC. So. Currently, I am in the process of breaking down my mining rigs. It's just not profitable anymore, and I want to use some of the spare parts, plus a few new ones, to build my first benchmarking station. Now, what most people might not be able to guess is that my mining rigs all used Windows, and ones with legitimate keys. But getting those legitimate keys was a hassle. I was forced to scour eBay and be discerning and making sure that the people selling those $10 Windows keys weren't a scam. And sometimes the keys didn't work and I had to fight for my money back. But you don't have to if you go to CDK Offers. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description uh glad it's coming out (laughs) let us move on to number Seven and I, Essen writes in again and he says, Daniel Gruss did a new load value injection video. The link will be in the description. <laughs> Definitely this video based on Inception. That's what it was. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, they're getting more, uh, they're getting more advanced with their reveals on new vulnerabilities. <laughs> Yeah, so I, uh, to be honest, I haven't had time to study it that much. And this is story number seven as well, uh, load value injection. It sounds pretty bad, actually. Like, and it's, and this is what we're starting to see a lot now. It's a lot of new Intel security vulnerabilities that seem to use multiple of the previous ones to make an unfixable vulnerability. <laughs> um, this one can be patched. I guess, but it looks like it might legitimately have an across-the-board 10% performance hit. And again, I'm just going to bring it up because it matters, guys. These do affect everyone. It is a lawsuit liability for Microsoft. Microsoft will put this in Windows updates. And we know how annoying Microsoft is is about making you get Windows updates. So these people, again, if you're a gamer and you say this doesn't affect you, it's going to. It affected my 6700K. 
And some of these vulnerabilities, I don't know if it's this one specifically, are getting scary enough to where it's like, no, they can just run a JavaScript in a browser and steal all your information. Like, guys, this is bad. And what I found was really funny is I think it was TechSpot's article said, um, oddly enough, this doesn't affect Ice Lake CPUs. I'm like, oddly enough, they're built on 10 nanometer. Of course it doesn't. All these vulnerabilities are because it's the same architecture for five years. Yeah, yeah. Like that's where this is coming from. And it's basically the same architecture since Sandy Bridge. Ice Lake is a new architecture. It is 18% higher IPC. It is on a new process that has fundamental changes to how things are done. That's why you can't use the same security vulnerabilities. So all I know is a server engineer hasn't given me the full briefing on how bad this one is, but it sounds bad. It sounds like an unavoidable performance loss for most people if you have an Intel processor. Uh, it'd be funny, actually, if they benchmark this because that would put the 9900K firmly below <laughs> pretty much everything now. But I don't know what to say, guys. Don't buy Intel's 14 nanometer products. I just don't know how many times we have to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, let us move on to number eight. New Tiger Lake Nucks are coming out soon. And I am also a Tiger Lake hype channel, as people have noticed. I don't really expect to spend that much time on story number eight. But I think Tiger Lake, I've been told it could have up to a 10% IPC increase over Ice Lake, which would firmly put it around 30% higher IPC than Skylake. Even with just four cores, if you can put a dedicated graphics card there's going to be some games where this could be a killer gaming quad core. And I've also brought up this article because I've heard rumors Intel saw Renoir and is adding two cores to Tiger Lake. Oh, interesting. So that's why it has six cores. It doesn't say it does. Oh, but okay. don't rule out some version of Tiger Lake launching right after the quad core model that has six cores. Hmm, interesting. And if it I'm, did, I mean, yeah. they should bring that to desktop. Because I'm telling you, that IPC, if it, even if it just holds 4 gigahertz, it would be the best gaming CPU with 6 cores in several games. Not all of them, well, unless, but... Unless uh, that 6 core is like some Halo product, I don't know. How much, oh yeah, these that, Nux, it would be. Do these Nucks tend to sell well? I, I really don't know. You know, they're usually around $1,000. They're usually interesting oddities where you get to test Ice Lake on desktop or something, you know, and that's <laughs> what I know them for. Um, there's been a few in the past, you know, with Broadwell. Broadwell was definitely the most interesting ones because that took so long to come to desktop. You could basically test a Crystal Well Broadwell with integrated super graphics before ever getting to test it with the CPU you have. Dan, again, Dan does have a Broadwell CPU, i7. Well, well, I, it is in my apartment. I'm not using it. But. No, 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 you have upgraded. But let <laughs> yeah. us move on to number nine, Alder Lake. So this was actually maybe the biggest story we have to talk about um, was the 16-core Big Little rumor for what Alder Lake is going to be. And that's interesting because I talked about in my Whispers of Golden Cove video how I thought Alder Lake was very likely to be over 10 cores um, and that they could easily do multiple dies with it. And that was actually something hinted to me is they, they're looking at a multiple die approach. A big little approach would be interesting. And I guess what that would mean here is they might go with I guess, I don't know, maybe six cores. I guess I, I guess I don't know, but I think the rumor was eight cores of 
Golden Cove. So I guess what it would probably be is eight cores with hyperthreading that are Golden Cove, and then eight Atom cores in the background with no hyperthreading. So it'd be a 24-thread Frankenstein CPU. Um, I don't. What do you think about this news? Um, I mean, I think it's interesting. Let us I say it's a rumor too. We're not confirmed. It's a rumor. Yeah, and I don't know if they're going for that design philosophy, like you said, with Atom cores, or if they're the when they say big little, they just mean oh, it could eight, be its own thing. Who knows? Like like eight master cores that are higher powered, and then eight lower powered cores, which I don't know what they mean by lower powered exactly. Maybe they they mean Atom, Dan. That's what I said. Okay, okay. I mean, that's in. It's definitely interesting. <laughs> I like Frankenstein things. Though, well, so. what I find so weird is how many people in the comments, I don't know if you looked, were just like shitting on this. Like they had to. Like, I don't understand. Like, do you guys not get it? Golden Cove may have 50% higher IPC than Skylake. And again, for the people that say 50%, this guy's an idiot. Skylake came out in 2015. Okay? <laughs> 10 times 1.1 times 1.1. If they only increased IPC by 10% per year, which is what they would have wanted to do if they didn't stall, that would be above 50. Yeah. (laughs) Like we (laughs) should be expecting Intel to get there. And Ice Lake is already 18% higher. So just multiply it by 10% two more times, 1.1 two more times. And that's just, you know, Sunny Cove to Willow Cove to Golden Cove. That's all we're talking about, guys. If they can get that with eight cores with hyperthreading, that's going to be a master gaming chip. And then I don't know why anyone's like, oh, then these shitty cores in the background. It's like, why do I need more than eight atom cores handling my background tasks? I, I mean, yeah, and it's like uh, you can speak to this. So generally, when you're doing a lot of shit with your computer, like how many cores is it using right now? Well, I am doing a lot of shit right now. Let me look. So if I bring up Task Manager, it's using one, two, three, well, how many cores are threads, right? It's using like 10 cores, yeah. 10 threads right now, but like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's like using eight or nine cores right now. So you really don't need, and this is with, you know, we'll do it. I have a bunch of apps open, recording multiple channels, a bunch of Chrome tabs open. So that's why that's going on, everybody. None of them are being used that much. The yeah. I, I've been told that basically right now, even though everyone doesn't care about Intel Atom, their latest Atom is basically at Ivy Bridge IPC. So, you know, that's a bit below Zen 1. But what does it matter? It's just eight low-powered cores that just handle all the background tasks. You can probably do some rendering at the same time as the other cores in some apps. I don't see the big deal, like why that's not a good idea. Will you need more than the 16 threads that the... uh big cores provide and maybe just the eight background threads are running all of the little shit that doesn't need the full attention of a core. Yeah. And I think, I I think it could be an ultimate gaming chip. That's what I will say is that sounds like the ultimate gaming chip. It's just, again, the question Intel, it's not that you should shit on this or think it couldn't be as good as we're saying. It's, you have to think, does this matter if it's competing with Zen four? Because we know Zen yeah. 3 could have up to 20% higher IPC than Zen 2. So, you know, and if they can just give it another massive IPC boost with Zen 4, which I don't know why we should expect them not to. Like, I don't know what's going to be going on on desktop two, three years from now. Uh, two years from now was 2018. That's when Zen Plus came out. That was when eight cores were standard on desktop and 16 on Threadripper. 
So in two years, maybe they'll be on 24 core, 48 thread. You know, yeah, I mean, who the hell knows? <laughs> so, and and if Intel just has 24 threads total, well, AMD has 48 threads total and they're around the same IPC. I don't know if it matters that they have this interesting design. And the only other thing I would add to this is people doubting a hybrid approach. Rocket Lake is widely rumored to be eight 14 nanometer cores and then 10 nanometer integrated graphics. That's already rumored to be a hybrid approach. Why would they not continue with that with the next generation? I, I don't get. And in fact, if they did it this way, they could even vary their product stack for exactly what they need. They could probably go eight atom cores plus eight 14 nanometer cores for the cheaper ones or something. Yeah, I mean, and the other th design thing with this is I would assume this will maybe rein in some of uh, Intel's TDP issues. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, well see. that was one thing people were crapping on is it looked like it had used 150 watts. Yeah. Well, that's not good. But. <laughs> no, but it's early and we'll just have to see. Hopefully that would be because the eight cores are incredibly powerful for gaming and the backup. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just hope it's worth it. Always hoping yeah, we'll for see. the best. <laughs> okay, Carbon Cry writes him, would you consider a sponsorship from your favorite console company, Nintendo? All right, now I give Nintendo a lot of shit, Carbon Cry, but I don't fundamentally have a problem with them. Uh, and I would absolutely take a sponsorship from any console company right away. Let's do it. I don't even have an Xbox shirt. So when I do an Xbox video, I just have to like awkwardly put on a green shirt. Uh, looks weird. But uh, for example, would you give them naming rights about uh, changing die shrink? No. Or Nintendo die shrink? I would, what would I consider doing? I tell you what, everything has a price. I'm not gonna, I'm not one of those people that pretends I'm above everything. If Nintendo paid me an exorbitant amount of money, I would just have the Nintendo section. <laughs> and I would even I would make it as shilly as they want. Especially if they would I could convince them to put it at the end, because then you guys could just turn it off right at the end. <laughs> or we could make it or we can make the blatant shilling really fun. Yeah. Which there are ways of just completely shilling blatantly and making it hilarious. So, I mean, I mean, to answer your question genuinely, Carbon Cry, joking aside, I would take sponsorships from Nintendo, Xbox, Microsoft, Apple. I don't really care. I mean, none of these companies something, are evil. Something tells me we're not on their radar, though. I would assume we're not. And, you know, by the way that AMD still doesn't send me cards to review, even though I'm called a hype channel, they have a problem with the way I talk about things. <laughs> <laughs> like how I go, well, like how I have a really pro AMD video, and then at the end I'll just go, "God, Bulldozer is a piece of shit," or something. <laughs> and that's you know, uh, it's like that podcast we listen to, Sacred Symbols, is a PlayStation podcast, and PlayStation won't answer their emails because they don't like <laughs> yeah. how they shit on PlayStation when PlayStation screws up, which is all the time. <laughs> but um, speaking of consoles, this gets us to our final story. The local Ray interview. So this is a the company Adsure in Israel. They're a small startup making ray tracing software that is meant to run decent ray tracing on low-end hardware. And they said, we've partnered with one of the leading console manufacturers on ray tracing. Now, this is actually something I brought up in multiple broken silicons before. Yeah. I find it interesting how WCCF is <laughs> like reporting this like it's a bombshell. 
It's widely known that Azure has been working on ray tracing and ray tracing chips for a big console manufacturer. And I'm going to just, I, I added this story specifically because I want you guys to know, I've kept hinting at a big PS5 video. I've had a folder called Azure Detective for over a month. I have been trying to figure out exactly what's going on with the PS5 and Azure for a while, but I cannot get a hold of them. And well, I think it would be interesting if they were making a custom ray tracing chip for PlayStation or Xbox. Although I assume PlayStation at first, but I don't know. I forgot where I got that hunch that it was PlayStation, though. It was There was a reason. I don't remember, though. I haven't looked into it for a while. I kept going, they're such a small company. I don't know. But this interview, what I find interesting is them talking about how what they're working on. Um, I'm sorry here. I'm losing my train of thought. What they're, what they're working on is more of an algorithm. And with that in mind, I do wonder if Sony or Microsoft or who knows, it could be Google or something. Although I think they said it's one of the lead ones. So no, I think it has to be Sony or Microsoft. Or, or Nintendo, but... They said that their stuff isn't built to work with NVIDIA, and in, Nintendo's right now using NVIDIA. Oh, okay. So that's where my hunch comes from, that it's not with Nintendo. However, perhaps they're working on a next-gen Switch that uses AMD instead of uh, NVIDIA. If that's the case, they would be... Because uh, that was my, my hunch at first, is it could be Nintendo, because it's meant to work on, like, smartphone hardware. But... Unless we know that this is for their next-gen device, I don't know. And they said it's coming out in something this year. So I really think it's something possibly in the PS5, but I don't know. It could be in the Xbox or maybe even... Well, I, don't, I don't know. And once again, this is a software solution, though. So maybe they could license their software to multiple... It could be both. They keep talking about it like it's only one of them. So that's why I keep saying Xbox or, or PlayStation. But yes, it could potentially be in both. But we know is they're working with AMD and a major console manufacturer. Yeah, exactly. So maybe they were just part of designing a custom edition into both consoles too. Uh, I mean, yeah, we really don't know. It's, uh, I mean, their technology is impressive though, to say the, <laughs> to say the least. So I hope we see it in multiple consoles. Yeah, Dor did a video where I think he talked to them. And they go into it, but it's something I've had planned as a large video for a while. I just don't feel like I quite had the level of information to get the video out. So I did want to talk about it in this episode to make sure I get out there that I've been watching this for a while. I just don't feel comfortable making a video yet. But do not be surprised if the consoles both have some version of RDNA 2.0 ray tracing hardware, but they're also implementing a special algorithm and tweaks from a specific company like AdSure to make it even better than what we've seen in anything else since, you know, like to make it more efficient with that hardware. I just, I, I think it's something worth watching. It's really interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if there really isn't uh, much in the way of leaks with this company because they're very small. Like I think they said they only have 25 engineers on their team right now. Yeah, like so that. I guess maybe. They have cool tech. I've seen some of their ray tracing demos. It seems pretty impressive. So well, if they could get that software in there uh, running, that would be great. I, again, I think the demo that for all of it's impressive for what they the hardware it runs on, which is tablets. The the one that I still find the most impressive is an augmented reality one they show. They have dancing yeah. stormtroopers. All they do is they hold up, you know, a tablet, and the tablet's front facing camera is looking at a table. And if you look at the tablet, it's 
in real time generating dancing stormtroopers with real time ray tracing projected on them. And what that tells you is they didn't need to program anything specific. This, what the software they've designed can just look at a scene and put ray tracing where it needs it. And that's what I find so fascinating is if they added ray tracing to the consoles and you didn't need a program for it, they just had ASIC in there that's analyzing the game and adding a small amount of ray tracing on everything for free without the developers having to waste their time, which is supposed to be the point of ray tracing anyways. Yeah, and the only problem I have with maybe that... And what if they could add it to last-gen games? You know, that would be... (laughs) (laughs) That would be such an insane deal if, like, you put in, like, a PS4 or Xbox One game, and then now it has ray tracing, and they didn't have to program for it. Even if it was shitty ray tracing, it would still be insane. But yeah, and it's just with, like... uh... The, the fact is that you still can't do all of your lighting using ray tracing, so you still need to no. use rasterization. So I do wonder how much, if it really makes it any easier at all, or if it just makes it a add-on that I would It's just an be, add-on right now. But if, if they don't have to program for it, then that's nice if it's just like a $20 chip they put in there. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. And the only other thing that would worry me about it is if it were like gimmicky, maybe like uh, how PhysX always was. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a reader mail here from I Love You, Lynn and Jim, which is one of my best friends who just named himself the name of my parents. So I have to say I love my parents. Very funny, Brock. He says, honestly, how much do you think the current struggles could delay the PS5 and Xbox? And I talked to him about this personally. I mean, I, uh, my thing is, how much do I think it could delay the PS5 and Xbox? I don't know, months, if it's way worse than we expect. There's a good chance we're overreacting right now on purpose, which is good that we're doing that. Um, And just so that if we get it under control by summer, we're like, well, we made it through it. It's good. But if it's really bad, yeah, uh, the consoles could be delayed next year. But I've long said I don't think so. I think, well, the Xbox is definitely design complete. I believe the PS5 is about design complete by now. They just don't want to talk about it because it doesn't um, benefit them at all. So let me touch on that too. Like, uh, well, let me finish this thought. But so like, and so I think they're both design complete. I think with that in mind, they might just use N7P. They might not even use N7 Plus. And there's no reason they can't get some of them out in December. But I do think that we should all expect, like I've noticed this at work, Dan, that there's just a slowdown right now, that no one's responding as often. Even in, with my customers, I've been calling, you know, like Caterpillar and stuff. Like they're not responding as often as they did a month ago. People are worried. They're slowed down. Things are being disrupted, but nothing's grinding to a halt. So I just expect one month delays. It just wouldn't surprise me if these came out like very end of November or December. And instead of launching with like 5 million units in the first year, they launch with like 500,000. Like that, that, that's what I expect. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think they, there's a chance really... they might not get delayed though. There's a chance it might just be November with 5 million. But if there is one, I expect supply constraints in like one month delays. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I mean, I guess unless something happens, like I don't know the city where they're mainly being manufactured in. If the city that they're being manufactured in is. Well, they're using a... TSMC, who's, you know, Taiwan well, and they're handling things. But yeah, you're right. I don't know which foundry. They're being print. Yeah, they're being made in Taiwan, maybe. But 
that doesn't mean they're being assembled in Taiwan. That means components are being assembled. Yeah, they wouldn't be assembled in Taiwan and the supply chain's all over the place. You're right, you're right. I would expect that the city that they're manufactured or one of the cities where a lot of the parts are manufactured in gets hit really hard by it. And if that happens, I don't know. Then it could be maybe several month delays. But, but well, and this is something- probably unlikely. And this, that's probably <laughs> unlikely. And if it does happen, I think it will be firm. And I think that the chance of them dumbing down, which is this rumors I see of them like dumbing down the consoles to launch on time or something. I think there's basically no chance of that. I think once you launch a console, you want it to be the best it can be. And that's why people believe in most of the rumors about <laughs> some of these ridiculous rumors about the performance of, well, there's, there was someone who uh, alleged too, though, that the Xbox was, FP sixteen for twelve teraflops. It's like no, guys. The Xbox is powerful. Gee, that would that would like barely put it stronger than the Xbox One X, right? Or what? Yes, it be? that's yeah, that's ridiculous. Or the people saying that the PlayStation Five will be below. I've seen people say below nine teraflops. There's no fucking way. This is these are oh. next gen consoles, guys. And I just want to add something quick. So you said people are saying that they might be dumbing it down in response, so making a less powerful console. In response? Well, the, yeah, most of those rumors were for the PlayStation. It's like, no, they know they have to get it right at launch. And they have the past, like, whatever amount of times. Like, they're going to. If they need to delay it a few months, they're just going to to make it a powerful console. And that goes for both the PlayStation and Xbox. I just want to, like, break down that logic, though, because that fundamentally makes no sense to me. Because what, so imagine a car has... Uh, there's an issue with manufacturing the rims on a car. So they're probably going to put a V4 cylinder engine in there instead of a V6 because of those rim issues, right? Like, what, what are, what are right. we talking about? Like, like, if there's supply line constraints, it doesn't matter if you have a 12 teraflop or a 6 teraflop unit. You just can't assemble the po- components. Right, but that's like the thing, like, I guess to be specific too, there's been rumors that Sony wants, is having trouble getting some proper heat, I don't know what it was, cooling things to make because oh, they do want to okay. hit real high clock speeds. And that's both to make backwards compatibility a hardware level feature that's that works ju- that works seamlessly, which that's a whole other thing. I don't want to actually get into that too much, but there's some really interesting stuff I'm looking at on the PS5. But like, this idea that they will just launch a weak console is hilarious. It's like if they know they need to beef up the specs, they will. Hey, Tom here jumping in again, hopefully for the final time. One more time, more information came out after we recorded this, and I did want to give you my thoughts quickly. You know, it, it pretty much doesn't add anything, in my opinion, that's that new. It basically confirms all of the things me and Dan were confident about, except now they're 100% confirmed. Like, for instance, the next Xbox, despite what the moron fanboys on Twitter argued with me about, is not using 7 nanometer EUV. Uh, And that's for two reasons, as I've said many times. You're not making millions of consoles at the end of this year during a pandemic on a newer node. You want to use not basic 7 nanometer, but 7 nanometer enhanced. And, And the second reason they would do that is it's good enough. I mean, this thing is under 400 millimeter squared, and it's fitting 52 compute units, actually at 1.8 gigahertz. And Actually, at 12.1 teraflops, I was wondering if they rounded up. No, they actually rounded down. So that's that's just so exciting. I mean, when you consider they're fitting eight full cores, a 12 teraflop GPU in this dense of a process, and I'm t- and this console is not going to use more than 300 watts total for everything, probably not more than 250 watts. RDNA 2.0 is going to be insanely 
efficient. I, I, I would not doubt that desktop RDNA 2 can hit over 2 gigahertz. It makes me wonder if those rumors of the 2 gigahertz plus PS5 are true as well. Um, yeah, this is this is exciting. The people were wrong. This is, you know, getting up there close to 2080 Ti bandwidth. And it, it will allow upgradable storage. Let's see what else is in here. I don't want to dwell too long here, guys. I guess I guess the final tidbits I'll add on my thoughts on this Xbox is I like that they mentioned 120 hertz a few times, thus to me suggesting that my hunch that they would legitimately run some games on Xbox Series X with a 120 hertz uh, toggle option for all those people with big screen TVs, which most big screen TVs support 120 hertz now. Um, that's incredible. And additionally, they did drop a hint about ray tracing performance that I'm guessing most people are going to overlook at first. And to me, uh, I want to do more research. I might do a video on it. It suggests that this thing might have at least, I don't know, 20, 30, 40% better ray tracing performance than the 2080 Ti while having similar rasterization performance and bandwidth. I mean, yeah, 30%, let's say, better ray tracing performance than a 2080 Ti. If you optimize for the console specifically, that's enough. That's 4K60 ray traced games. That's that's just incredible. I, I, I'm so excited. Um, I'm sure more stuff will come out about the PlayStation soon as well. But anyways, uh, back to the show. I guess there was one story I removed that I do want to touch on. There was the the, the story that Xbox is winning because they're talking more right now. If we're being honest, that's what they said. It's like, you know, with all of these delays, I don't know, I think Sony might look pretty goddamn smart for not going to E3 and not talking yet. Well, and uh, E3 was canceled, so... Well, yeah, now we know E3 was canceled. Um, but so, uh, I, I will say that. Is anyone thinking so the person talking more is this one who's more ready? Uh, it's not necessarily true. And, you know, none of this is going to matter if these don't come out till December. Like, what's the point in talking a lot right now? Especially with possible delays and changes in supply chains. Well, yeah, and it's just like, I mean, I haven't heard, a, I've like barely heard any stories on like the presidential election in the past week and a half. It's like, Sure, Sony's being more quiet, but no one really cares about what these companies are saying right now that much. Right. And all I think I can, all I will say is that whenever they do unveil the PS5, it better be one hell of a perfect reveal. But if it yeah. is, no one will care that they were quiet. No one will remember how quiet they were. It'll look like they were quiet out of strength. Yeah, and I'll just say... And if I was Microsoft, it, I'd start shutting up with how many delays there could be. <laughs> Like if they're if they plan on launching in November or October, um, I think they sh do want to announce by like May though. What I, I've said are. for a while now, um, both in loose ends, unbroken silicon. I think if not, I am now, and in a couple of videos, I think I think Sony's announcing probably May. I think May is for some. I just get that feeling May. And so moving on, the last thing to say is the whole thing with what's going on with a spreading thing from Asia that I can't say. We're not censored on Patreon. We did a whole die shrink about it where I consulted a chief resident at Mayo Clinic and Dan's a geneticist as well. And we did our own independent research. So that's all there. That's all there if you want to hear about it. And I guess I'll just go through the quick facts. Have some food. Don't worry about toilet paper. The clinician said, follow the quarantines. They are working. It's about slowing down the amount of cases we get so we can keep up with it. And then basically 
be ready when there is mass outbreaks and then hopefully get a vaccine out before the next winter. And so just listen to the mass testing. That's important. Listen to the quarantines. The economy is going to take a major hit. It's going to continue to be all over the place for the next year, probably. But this isn't the end of the world. It's just going to be a harder year. And uh, get ready for random delays, not uniform ones. Like most people will be working still. Most people are, are, can work remote for a month if they need to. The problem is, is if someone unexpectedly gets sick, you know, how many components go into anything, whether it's a car or a computer? Just expect like most of your deliveries are going to get there on time from Amazon. There might be a week where they don't. You're just going to have to be able to make do. And I think that's what it is, is this is going to be a very unpredictable year. And uh, if you want to hear our full thoughts, the die shrinks there for patrons. But I kind of want this to be the last time we talk about it, unless it's in a specific news story, don't you? Yeah, and uh, I, I guess actually I don't really know what it's like on the, the rest of the country, but pretty much every school here is being canceled right now where I live. Um, Same, I have friends in Louisville canceled. Peoria just canceled now. Okay, so it looks like it might just be after the announcement of the well, Peoria is still doing fine. Like all the, all the restaurants are open and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I don't have kids. I, I haven't functionally, there's not much of a difference for me right now, but no. Um, and I haven't gone to the grocery store for a few days, but I did go a few days ago and it was, I might go again today just to pick up a couple things just cause I'm still curious. Like, like just to get like a bottle of wine for dinner. Like I am just curious, but so far there hasn't been anything missing. I'm, I'm also pretty sure that uh, grocery stores are strategically putting out their stocks. And yeah, they are. I could tell so, they were with toilet paper a week ago, which was funny. Because it's like, uh, yeah, uh, she said that she went to the grocery store and none, nothing was there. It's like, um, oh, there was plenty when I was there. Eight hours oh, later. Oh, so you were in the same place. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I could tell there was less toilet paper on the shelves than usual, but it was still there. You know, which again is annoying because what if I do need it? Like, guys, you don't. <laughs> like, Bill yeah. Maher was saying that he was actually out of toilet paper and he's like, I wish I could just go buy some and not have to worry about bread lines blocking <laughs> me. But yeah, I, I mean, guys, take it seriously. Be ready for the unexpected, but you should always have bottled water around. You should always have more than a day's worth of toilet paper around. And if you really want to prepare, just have enough perishable foods for two weeks. And that's just a jar of peanut butter and a sack of rice. You'll be fine. You'll be tired of rice by the end of it, but yeah, you'll live. I think I can eat and a lot also, of rice, though. I like rice. <laughs> and also, you can live without much food for two weeks. So <laughs> You could if, live for two weeks with just water. The electricity is not going out. You know, again, here are full thoughts. And I don't want this to turn into the die shrink episode yeah, again. Yeah. Listen to the die shrink, but I just wanted to throw out the bare facts, the conclusions we came to from it and say, we're not going to turn into a podcast that only talks about that stuff. You know, I save this for the end on purpose because it's annoying me how I can't read about anything else right now. Yeah, I, I'm tired of hearing about it. And I'm sure everyone else is right now. You've heard, you've heard all of the useful information that you've needed to hear, whether that's from us, from someone else, there's probably someone else giving more useful information than we can on this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, so you've heard everything you need to hear. It's your choice if you're going to heed uh, the, that advice people are giving you. I'm tired of talking about it. I would rather be doing something else. <laughs> and so, and that is what we're kind of closing on here. 
is that broken silicon comes out every Wednesday. If we get sick, which there's, yeah, I won't, I won't talk about that. There, there's a chance we could get sick. And if we do, as long as we're not unconscious, we'll get up and do at least a, you know, one hour episode going through the most important news stories. And we're going to be in your feed every Wednesday. And remember, if you are bored and locked inside right now, if you support us on Patreon, especially at the um, unlocked fourth core level, there's like, what, now 15 die shrinks to go through, all of the broken silicons, and I think six flyover states, and I've got two more coming out in the next month or something. Like there, and a hits and gems, and I'll, I, I do have plans to make more of those episodes too. So you've got a whole backlog of stuff that we've done with multiple guests and people on all different subjects. Um, to go through there if you support us. And remember to subscribe to the RSS feed. That's another reminder too. Remember to review us on Apple Podcasts. Get those, that really does help that we're not just on YouTube, that we get people spreading our content in different places. And if you like it, again, support us on Patreon. All right, that's about all I got to say, Dan. Do you have anything else? Yeah, so I guess I'll bring this up quickly at the end. I don't think it's much of a story. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is coming to PC. (laughs) Oh, Um, you should have brought this up when we were talking about consoles, Dan. I'm sorry. But uh, (laughs) Horizon Zero Dawn is coming to PC. There were some hot takes. I thought an article, I read an article on Metro.UK that was talking about how how this suggests that The Last of Us 2 (laughs) is going to become, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, I don't have much else to say. Uh, If you don't own the PS4. Pick up Horizon, though. <laughs> yeah, it was a great game. I mean, I think there's much better games on it. I thought I actually liked it. A lot of people compared it to God of War just because they came out in a similar time. But my God of War was way better. I think The Last of Us is better as well, I think. I think there's better games. But I think Horizon... I have friends who say Horizon's one of their favorite games they ever played on there. So definitely yeah. play it. Uh, it's really good. Yeah, I guess since you brought it up, I'll just say one thing. I saw, I don't know if the good old gamer did a video where he said exclusives aren't necessary anymore. Guys, Sony's not bringing all of their exclusives to PC. I've talked about this before. I don't know where this conception's coming from. Like, this is one game that's four years old that has widespread appeal. They're bringing to PC as an ad for PlayStation. They have no... And there's a rumor they might bring the Resistance trilogy to PC, which if they do, (laughs) play that, guys. But that's a decade old. By the time that would come out, yeah, like, these sound like great advertisements for Resistance Four and Horizon Two, and that's the PS5. all they're doing. But uh, yeah, this is not really a shift in their strategy. This is just like corporations need to find ways to make new money, and it's like this thing's five or ten years old. Like literally, sure. what's to be lost by bringing it to <laughs> PC as an ad? You know, I am interested to see what the Decima engine looks like on PC, though. Yeah, that should be really cool. <laughs> All right, well, that's all we have. Stay safe out there. Like I said, I just booted up my phone. I have an awful we're recording, but I checked. It's like if you subscribe to the Patreon, uh, the $4 level, you get 50 podcasts <laughs> that are there and the ability to submit reader mail. Spread the word. Spread the gospel of Tom and Dan. Don't die. Don't go fuck yourselves unless you're blokes. Just kidding. I'm not actually mad at blokes. I just like that we pretended we were. I don't know, Dan. I like blokes. Dead air. What what last words do you have? Uh, why do I always have to go out? I don't know. This is what you make because I'm, ta- I'm, I, 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 I'm always talking. I'm always because I I I because I'm always talking over you.
Well, so you have to, to have the last word you for a second. Shit. <laughs> I guess I'll give a stupid sounding coy. Bye. Okay. Bye, everybody. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lennon Jim, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Call Marco, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Trizantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Shope, Sadler Sadler, Richter Kohagan, Elethros, Telos, Caden Picknell, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Wani Care Bear, Matthew Lanes, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Jonathan, Drita Full, Ethan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Deward, Harold P. Burrow, Wayne, Sam McArthur, James Crasta, Hector Santana, and Brad Medlin. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. Thank you.